You are listening to the Techie Leadership Show with Bogdan and Andrei. Hello and welcome to the Techie Leadership Show. Today with me I have Kathleen Allen. She is an author, thought leader, executive coach and consultant organizations who want to lead the organizations as if they are a living system, not a machine. She works with leaders to help them create organizations where everyone thrives. The people in the organization, the people they serve, the communities they are based in, and um, in which they are involved and evolving. She also has a doctorate in leadership from the University of San Diego, lives in Minnesota, and enjoys gardening and reading good stories. Hi, Kathleen, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Do you want to add anything else about yourself? Um, no, I think that's a good place to start. Gives them enough context. Okay. I'm really curious about your stories. So what is the biggest leadership success story you witnessed personally? Um, sometimes in my consulting practice or my coaching practice, I work with organizations that um, have had really bad leadership for a while. I call it toxic leadership. But it's okay. leadership that kind of diminishes the people in the organization. It tends to be led by fear and um, by control. And um, I've been lucky because I've often been asked to come in and help organizations heal and work with the leaders who are trying to create a new kind of organization, an organization where people can thrive. And so amazing. I think, pardon me? I said, yeah. amazing. It's really good yeah. work you're doing. Yeah. So um, I think my, uh, some of the really amazing successes has been watching these positional leaders who come into organizations that um, are really filled in with uh, fear. Everybody keeps their head down. Nobody really works with each other. Everybody's self-protective and uh, fundamentally change that culture. And they have, there's kind of a pattern to that, uh, to what they do. And I would- What do they do? I would call it really successful leadership. And one of the first things they do is they start listening and they start talking to people and asking questions and trying to understand what's going on. Uh, and uh, also they start listening and asking questions around what did the people in the organization actually want to see the organization to be organization become. So um, most people have aspirations of working in really great teams or working in really great organizations where they feel they're making a difference and they are um, serving a higher purpose in some way, shape, or form. It's not just about yes. making money to them. It's something more. And when you have talented, intelligent people working in your organization, that need and that desire and that aspiration is like tenfold easily, maybe a hundredfold. You know, they want to, they want to be seen as human beings and they want to be treated with respect yes. and they want to be heard and they have things to contribute. And so these successful leaders, they start healing the organization by um, discovering and building relationships with each and every one. Um, they, um, the authenticity of their relationship 
is one of the ways that it helps people know that it is safe to start sharing what they're actually thinking again. And, um, oh, yes. and uh, they start asking them to, well, tell me what a great team looks like for you. And what would a great organization look like for you? And what would a place look like that, um, what kind of supervision would you like to help you thrive and become your best? Um, and so they start in this kind of questioning, listening, and then they start, you know, moving people towards group conversations that help them begin to think, okay, let's maybe we can make this change or we can make this difference. So having hope um, and uh, being able to name the aspiration of what you would like your organization to become is one of the techniques that they use. And, and then they start building ways for, you know, in living systems, there are certain principles. And one of the system, one of the principles is that people support what they help to create. In unhealthy organizations, people don't have an opportunity to be involved in decisions that affect them. But in these successful leadership strategies, leaders involve people to help create the next future. So people support what they help to create. And that's one of their principles, their design principles for leadership. And they also, people only pay attention to what matters to them here and now. Yes. And so leaders, these leaders are really good at explaining why doing this work matters, matters to them, matters to the organization, matters to the work that they do. And so they always explain why it matters. And the other thing is they're big on uh, living systems uh, evolve with information and feedback. And so they're very transparent in the way they, sh they share information. They talk about the challenges. They talk about what's really good that's happening. They talk about new things that are coming in that might affect them. So people are, un under they understand and they're aware of all of these different things. So they really count on folks um, to be able to um, self-organize and uh, know how to initiate and organize their own learning, initiate and organize their own work, align their work with purpose and mission of the organization. You know, it's, it's when you think about an organization as a machine, you basically think your employees are, um, are cogs in, in a machine. So we yes. tend to objectify people and nobody likes to be objectified and everybody knows when it's happening to them. Uh, but For sure. Successful leaders, they don't objectify people. They look for the uniqueness and the uh, gifts that bring people bring and they really encourage self-organization. I have this kind of story in my book um, where, you know, ants, in nature, nature self-organizes all the time. So ants, I ask, what's the difference between ants and human beings? And um, the what's similar is that they both, both human beings and ants self-organize. And what's different is yes. that ants self-organize all the time on their own. And human beings selectively self-organize. So, <laughs> <laughs> We're not as good as ants, it seems. Yeah. 
so, you know, we're smart. And if we are being supervised by a micromanager, we basically stop self-organizing because we know it's a waste of time and energy. Yes. So we'll reserve our self-organizing for our social life on Friday night or our family life or um, our sports life or whatever, but we won't bring it to work. But these successful leaders know how to create environments that encourages people to show up fully, authentically, and self-organize around their work. Yes, Kathy. And just by having what you just told me and thinking about it, our human body is a living system. Yes. And if we tried, for example, if I wanted to control my liver to, to make it speed up and burn more fat, it would be amazing if my leader, meaning the brain, could say, like, you do it. But the liver is self-organizing, and he does what he needs to do to make sure that I stay alive. And you cannot, you, maybe you can impact a little with willpower, uh, your internal system, but you cannot have 100% control of it. And it's right. the wisdom of the body itself. And it, you, every, every part of it works independently, but together in some, in some place. At the same time, yes. Our, yes. Uh, our circulation system and our nervous system and our neurons and our brains, they all work in an unconscious coordination with each other. And that's really what I think now really healthy organizations are like. They, um, they have that ability to, you know, in, to, to work together in service of something more. So in the human body, all of our systems, both conscious and unconscious, work together to sustain and support our life, individual life, right? Our heart beats, as long as our heart beats, as long as our circulation is moving, we are living. Um, but the, so if a leader, um, wants to create, so in nature, nature has a purpose. It's, it, uh, its purpose is to create conditions conducive to the life of future generations. Yes. Isn't that, isn't that a lovely purpose? Uh, and it's designed to create conditions conducive to the life of future generations. So nature can regenerate itself. It can restore itself after forest fires or floods or big weather events. Um, we can have uh, a mass extinction like with the dinosaurs and life still regenerates because it's fundamentally designed for. And I think su successful leadership today has to bring nature's design into the organization, has to bring living systems into the organization. And then when we do that, we create conditions to the life of the people who are working there and to the future life of our organizations. Yes, and in some sense, you can say that life is the most infectious disease we have on this planet. Because yes. whatever happens, life wants to continue going. It does. <laughs> in, it does. I love that. Yes. Yeah. And Kathy, would you have like an example of uh, a company that had a toxic culture and a leader came in and started the healing process and took it like to the next level? Yeah. Yeah. They, there's, that's um, a lot of my work is going in and helping organizations change their culture. So it works for more people and it works for the people that are their clients or the people that they serve. And they, they, um, they lead in a unique way. They, again, they involve people in decisions that affect them. 
they build strong, authentic relationships with, with people within the organization. They invite this self-organization that we talked about. They um, uh, assume that everybody in the organization has some unique talent or gift or asset that helps them be more effective. And when you, and, and people in the organization believe that their team leader or their director or the CEO knows them as a unique person. They know what they're really good at. They know how to um, create experiences or opportunities so that people can use their gifts to the highest possible way in service of the mission of the organization. So that's what they do. And of course, the toxic folks are completely opposite that. You know, they <laughs> yes. do to people. They're very attracted to control and, uh, and uh, they don't manage their emotions very well. So they're prone to uh, outbursts that you know, get people uh, nervous about being around them. People start kind of, uh, uh, there's kind of an ethical deterioration that happens in those, uh, those toxic leaders. Yes. Because they often are lying to themselves about what the reality is because, uh, and because they lie to themselves, it's easy to lie about, you know, other things. And so eventually the, the, uh, the ethical standards of the organization start to diminish. And then people start realizing, oh, my toxic leader only wants to hear this kind of news. And so they stop telling they give this one. the whole story. And so then it creates this self-fulfilling prophecy where the, the toxic leader, I always think that dysfunctional leadership can always be spotted by the absence of feedback in the system. So oh. in nature, feedback is the way they curb excess. But dysfunctional yes. leaders, what they do is they make it they they make themselves too busy so they can't hear when people are having problems with them. Or they um they change the subject when people are trying to give them information about what they're doing that's hindering the productivity of the team or the morale of the team. Or they um they they cut off access to them if people if they're running into somebody who's telling them the truth and they're all of a sudden they're too busy. <laughs> <laughs> fire them get them yeah. out of the organization right exactly so i think that uh, these kind of dysfunctional leaders one of the hallmarks of dysfunctional leadership is we is they stop listening and then people eventually decide to either go around them or that it's too risky to give them the, the real information and they might be at risk of losing their jobs or something like that and so then the dysfunction just amplifies and gets worse in the organization because they're no longer learning. But living systems learn all the time. We adapt all the time. But toxic or dysfunctional leaders, they're either too scared or they're too invested in their ego or too invested in their, their power or position. Uh, and uh, for some reason or other, they they start disconnecting from the rest of the people in the organization and they hold on tighter, which is another kind of odd thing, you know, to their position and their privilege. Their power. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you you tend to cling people. more to the stuff that's slipping away from your hands. 
Yes, yes, that's it, exactly. And so, you know, how do we, as, uh, you know, so, you know, those, those folks, we all recognize when a leader is dysfunctional, when they no longer are really serving purpose and they get more and more disconnected from us and from the work that they're trying to do. And they hold on tighter and tighter to their power and position. And, uh, and then it demoralizes the people in the organization. And you're working, you know, your podcast is for folks who are smart knowledge workers in organizations. Yes. And those folks, they see this very clearly. And then they yes, for sure. make choices about, you know, how do I want to bring my talents to this organization? And, and what are the trade-offs that I'm willing to make? to have a paycheck and support my family? And do I start looking for another job? And when do I know it's time to do that? And, uh, and so that kind of old leadership, I call it old dysfunctional leadership because I just don't think it works with um, really talented people in organizations. Oh my God, no, it doesn't work. And <laughs> Uh, especially like in tech companies when they have like really bad leaders it's it's when you enter it's like you are in a zombie land you can see their light being snuffed out of yeah. themselves and they're there just for the paycheck and sometimes they they, they self-organize themselves and they have fun in other ways but they don't enjoy being that much they try to make it enjoyable despite the fact that the leadership is making it as unbearable as possible I know I know. So sometimes then what happens is you have within those organizations, maybe the dysfunctional or toxic leader is higher up in the organization. And then you have folks that are kind of in the middle management area. And what they get to do is oftentimes I find these pockets of really innovative, creative teams. Yes. Because they seem, okay, my job as a manager or leader in my organization is try to shield as much as possible the toxic toxicity or the dysfunction and then unleash my talent with my team. Uh, so from where I sit downward, uh, they create. These, God bless for those people. Yeah. Uh, they don't always, you know, stick because it's a tough position to sit in. Oh, that it's seat. really stressful. It's, it Very is stressful. really stressful. But uh, you can have these really great subcultures in unhealthy organizations. It's just, uh, it, takes, um, it takes energy and it takes a person that has, um, is pretty centered inside of them, themselves to be able to, you know, I call it, so in, in Minnesota, we have lots of lakes and, you know, okay. going out onto the boat is kind of a summer activity. and you have it's like you have one foot on the dock and one foot on the boat and you know and you're nowhere <laughs> but in the water and if the boat drifts off you know you're in the water right so i think sometimes those leaders in our organization that are holding these healthy spaces despite the larger organization's culture they're a little bit like one foot is in the boat and one foot is on the dock and they're trying not to get wet you know because they're spread in two places Oh, yes. And talking about like this kind of situation, what is the biggest leadership failure you had the unfortunate experience of witnessing? Uh, the biggest fail? 
Um, yes. I think we've kind of been talking about that. It's, um, but you can, but let's put it into a world context right now. So, okay. so I believe that when you are working with complex um, dynamics in a system like we are now with the COVID-19, um, you can't really understand it by analyzing it down into its parts because the, the pandemic right, is bumping into economic and family structures and social interaction and habits and psychological feelings and it's creating stress markers in a bunch of other systems like the health systems, the education yes. systems, the technology is kind of driving a new ad adaptation that's of an innovation that's happening. So when you're in this kind of lots of change coming from everywhere, you can't analyze, you can't understand it by going down into the parts and then rebuilding it. You can only understand it from a balcony perspective. So the balcony is, think about the dance floor and then going up to the balcony and then you're looking over the balcony onto the dance floor. And when you do that, you can see patterns of movement on the dance floor that you can't see if you're just having fun on the dance floor. So, yes, that's true. Right? So the really effective leaders that are managing the COVID-19 crisis are the folks who are going up to the balcony and seeing the pattern of how things are moving together. And, and then they start building strategies, leadership strategies off of those patterns. So, um, uh, so the effective leaders in this daily, in this uh, real, very real context are the ones who are building strategies that will serve the whole system, all of those variables that we talked about, the health, the economy, the, the social security, the financial security. They're all trying to figure out how do we create a solution that balances all of these variables together. And then the failure in leadership are the folks who are only looking at one thing and they're creating these false uh, distinctions. Like we either, they're either like, um, like in the US, we were big for a while trying to figure out how do we shelter in place to flatten the curve on the spread of the virus. And then people got nervous about shutting down the economy in that way. And so then they start, the failure of leadership started showing up when people were saying, well, it either has to be health or the economy. They were making this false either or choice. Uh -huh. And so when they did that, they weren't looking at it as an interconnected system. They were looking at it as ranking hierarchy of choices. And so we're going to put the economy over, over public health was kind of the failure of leadership is that they were prioritizing one part of the system at the expense of all of these others. And so when you do that, this comes from systems thinking. So systems thinking, there are like three basic elements to it. One is you have to understand the whole system. And the more parts you can string together and see how they're connected, the more you understand the system. But some people don't see leadership with a systems lens. They see it with a parts lens, you know, so they're only tracking the thing that matters to them. 
and the people with systems thinking are trying to put the whole system together so they can make better strategy decisions or leadership decisions that serve. It's harder to do it that way. It is, but <laughs> it's more effective to lead. It is more effective, but you have to work as a leader in you that situation. <laughs> so the more you string together pieces, the more you understand the whole. And, um, and if you optimize, if your leadership optimizes one thing over another, you basically weaken the whole system. You might strengthen one part, but you weaken the whole system over time. This is where nature really gets it. They, um, is that nature is, if nature were going to define profit, they would say it would be the evolution of the whole system. So in nature, benefits and burdens are widely shared. But in systems that are more toxic or degenerative, you basically have leaders who are focusing on one part at the, with the exclusion of everything else. So for example, if you focus on making money in the short term, you're going to look at the talented people in your organization as a resource that you can extract to make money for the organization, and then you don't share that profit widely with everybody that contributed to it right? Yes. So, or you extract resources from the environment and you turn it into private profit. Or you um, and so a lot of our injustices and inequities and um, objectification of people come from that um, optimizing one thing over everything else. And I think um, that is one of the ways you can track bad leadership these days. For sure. And it goes, I think, uh, also, the other way, if you optimize only for employee happiness, but you don't track like the health of the business, it's not good. You're still a bad leader because people are going to be out of a great job because of it. Absolutely, uh, absolutely. You got it's a balance. It's a dance. It's uh, but you recognize that everything's connected and interdependent, and that you make a strong organization when you bring all of these into relationship to each other. So yeah, all these all or nothing kind of decision making is not a good leadership strategy, not at all. Yeah. You, you should have a no sub uh, system left behind approach. Right, right, exactly, no sub system left behind, I love that. Yeah, no system left behind, uh, yeah, that's a great line, very good. <laughs> uh, so, uh, to move forward with everything, it is more work, but also it makes it easier because you improve one part, then you switch to improve the other part, you don't have to do them all at the same time, but don't focus 100% on one and never switch to the others. Correct, correct. Almost everything uh, is connected. And if you act as if it's separate, it will hurt the way you lead. You won't be as sophisticated in the way you think as you need to when you lead. Exactly. And like you, you know, see, the like... Industry, the tech industry, the, the, it reminds you every single day that things are more connected than you think because you have to think systemically if you're in tech software development, for example. Um, you know, anybody who's done an upgrade on their computer knows that it's supposed to be just like switching out a cog, but it's never like that. There's always unexpected ripple effects because, you know, the complexity of our programming is such that the interface is always going to be a little interesting. And so you got to go do tweaks, right? That's exactly. So your tech folks are much more predisposed to figuring this leadership out than folks that maybe come out of another industry. 
And also the tech people should be careful to sometimes they focus too much on the technology and too little on the end user. And right. the results are not pleasant for the end user. Absolutely, so, they aren't. Yes. They're part of the system. They are part of the system. Don't forget. Part of the system. Yes. Same thing. You don't optimize the technology and ignore the people that are going to buy your product. That's not going to work too well. <laughs> exactly. And Kathy, what is your leadership philosophy? So, um, I keep evolving in the way I think about leadership, but these days, um, I'm very attracted to uh, learning how to do leadership from nature uh, and living systems. And um, I think that, um, so I believe that leadership is not something that's done only from the top of an organization. And I also believe that leadership is not just positional. I think we all have the capacity to lead. As I talked about earlier, yes. if ants know how to self-organize, human beings become our part of nature and we know how to self-organize too. And that self-organizing energy is often similar to the energy of leadership. So I believe that leadership and strong organizations have leadership distributed throughout the organization at all levels. So you don't, um, eventually get promoted into something and become a leader, but you can be a leader from anywhere in the organization, from the very bottom, yes. to the middle to the top. Uh, you can even be a leader outside of the organization and influence the organization in a leadership way. So this distributed leadership, that's kind of a leadership that is, is spread throughout the organization, is filled with people who can initiate and organize their own work, who can initiate and organize their own learning, who are self-aware enough that they know what they need to learn more about. They are able to align their work to the larger mission and purpose of the organization. And they, they can manage their emotions so they're not spreading drama and trauma throughout the organization and the way they work with each other. And yes. so when you have that, your organization becomes much more flexible and innovative and adaptive. And they're always in movement trying to improve. And they're really, it's really fun to be in those places and working with those organizations. So I guess my philosophy is that leadership is something that emerges from all of our inner individual interactions in an organization. And um, that emergent property is what I would call uh, leadership, which is an organ, it's just like nature. It's designed to ensure or create conditions for the organization and to thrive and the people to thrive. Um, or in nature's words, to create conditions conducive to the life of future generations. A big, meaningful, shared purpose. So, and how and how can we create like a distributed leadership or an environment where you can grow inside of an organization? You can create it. Um, uh, there's so many. Or encourage it. <laughs> I, there's so many places I can go down this path. So just let me think about what would be. Uh, okay. Okay. So, so here's a couple of thoughts. One is, is that um, I think that, human energy is a key resource that we um, 
we don't always acknowledge in our organization. So in nature, nature runs on sunlight, but it requires photosynthesis to be unleashed. So in nature, sunlight, it's shined in onto leaves and grass and algae. And then that photosynthesis takes energy, free energy, and turns it into nutrients that fuel all life on this planet. So my leadership question would be, what is our version of organizational photosynthesis? So if every, what is single, it? If every single person uh, in the organization uh, chooses, every, every Monday morning, they choose whether they're going to bring positive, negative, or neutral energy to the organization. And leadership is the photosynthesis. The way we lead uh, invites this positive energy to show up instead of the negative energy or the neutral energy. And there are three things that I talk about this in my book, uh, Leading from the Roots. So the three things that leaders can do is they can, they um, is build authentic relationships with people. So often the more authentic people are, the more uh, positive their relationships are. The second is to build your organization on a higher shared purpose. So there's this story about interviewing three bricklayers and you go to the first one and they're all laying brick and you go to the first one and they say, what are you doing? And he says, I'm laying brick. Basically focused head down one brick on top of the next. Yes. You go to the next one, you say, what are you doing? And that person says, I'm building a wall. And okay, so his, his sense of purpose is, um, and when I get to the top of the wall, I'll be done. And then you go to the third bricklayer and you ask, what are you doing? And that bricklayer says, I'm building a cathedral. Basically, I'm oh. participating in this big, higher shared purpose. And when people are clear about what your shared purpose is in your organization or your work, then it um, releases more positive energy than negative energy. And then the third thing is when relationships are reciprocal. So many of our hierarchical organizations, um, we don't have reciprocal relationships. We have power over others, you know, instead yes. of some kind of deep respect and understanding and, and uh, knowing and understanding the people in a reciprocal way kind of a mutually sharing synergistic energy. So when you have reciprocity, authentic relationships and higher shared purpose, it tends to unleash these, this distributive leadership and this positive energy. And leadership can create conditions where authenticity is invited into the workplace. But to do that, you have to tell the truth to yourself. You have to tell the truth to each other. There has to be transparency. It has to be safe for people to say what they think and what they see. Um, and you can treat people with respect and that brings more reciprocity. So what you model and how you treat people matters. And then you can be really clear about what you're trying to accomplish together. And it has to be something more than just making money. It has to be, how are you contributing to the world as well? And having that honest conversation with yourself, it is tough. Yeah. It is really tough. And then increasing the radius and involving other people in that conversation becomes even tougher. Yeah. 
But that is what you do as a leader. If you want to be a leader and a good leader, that mm-hmm. is the, the that should be like the job description. <laughs> this is what you have to do. Yeah. So it's so now I think of leadership as kind of organizational photosynthesis. It's the act it's the modeling and the actions that create this ability to transform the energy and talents that people have in the organization to serve a higher purpose. And that's that authenticity, reciprocity, and higher shared purpose that would lead that. It sounds kind of, I mean, it's, it's not managing, you know, in a management sense. Leadership and management are very different. Management is about the status quo. It's about concrete planning, communicating, motivating. It's, um, but it's management usually isn't about change. It's, it's about keeping everybody harmonious so they can be efficient. But leadership is literally about change. A leader can look at the present, can imagine a better future, and then works towards making that better future happen. So leadership always starts at the margins of an, you know, a leadership idea is not something that is born out of the middle. It's born, it, yes. it exists at the edges, and then you pull the rest of the people towards that edge, and then that edge becomes the new middle. So leadership is always about change. It's always about this ability to imagine how we can be better, how we can do better, how we can be better in relationship to each other. And that is such a powerful idea, and thank you for sharing it. And yes, leadership is about change. You don't become a leader because you want to preserve the status quo. You can just be a manager to do it. Yes. Because you're, you're absolutely right. Management is about keeping what is working now for It might not be perfect. It might not be ideal, but it works. And let's keep it as it is yes. to get the, the, the work done at the end. Because that's, that's what you're looking as a manager to get the deliverable delivered. But as a leader, you're always looking how can we improve on the management and the processes we're using to make it more fun, more pleasurable, more profitable, of course. Yes. So all this, and it is about change. As a leader, you don't want to say, uh, if not, you're not leading. You're just staying there <laughs> doing nothing. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, I think um, part of the, the leadership issue is that um, today, Management used to be okay to be the primary way you thought about your work because the external environment wasn't moving as fast. But now the external environment is moving very fast. So if you're not changing, your organization is basically dying. Dying, yes. Management is a nice subset to have those skills, but it is not sufficient for leadership. For leadership, you have to be willing to um, have hope that we can create a better future. Hope and hope and change, and your ability to imagine a better place are all connected. So basically, if your organization has only management, it is slowly and ever increasingly faster becoming extinct. That's yes, what is yes. happening there. Yes, <laughs> and we all know it. When that when we were in those organizations, we can just watch. The organization yes. in front of our eyes, yeah, because we're not adapting, we're not changing, we're not moving, but other people are. Yes, and they are picking up the smart, intelligent people. That's 
are inside the, 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 that organization and slowly there you have higher churn and it becomes harder to recruit and get new people in, then it just collapses on its own. Yeah, and since we're talking like uh, about change and uh, growth, for aspiring leader, what would be your top three leadership tips you would have for them? Um, I think my first one would be uh, pay attention to the quality of your relationships. Uh, there was this beautiful book called Star Performers, I think is the title. I might have that not quite right, but they were basically saying, what's the difference? Their research was, what is the difference between a star performer and a mediocre performer in an organization? And what they discovered was that the mediocre and the star performer often had very similar skills, very similar knowledge, but the thing that made it different for them was the quality of their relationships. So the star performer paid attention to relationships, built relationships across the organization so that when they needed someone else in the organization to help accomplish something, they got a response like um, four, five, times faster than the person that didn't have the relationships in place. So relationships in organizations matter. And if you don't have good relationships with people across the organization, they're not going to support you in a, in a timely fashion. But if they like you, if they like the, uh, if the, you have a good relationship, they'll want to help you. And then you in turn also help them faster than other people because it's yes. right. So I would say focus on the quality of your relationships. I believe change, which is leadership, flows down along lines of relationship. So if you want to change your system or your organization, the better your relationships are, the more easily you can initiate change in an organization and make a difference. Whether that's a team or a department or if you're leading an organization from the top. Pay attention to your relationships. The second is that embrace and seek out diversity. Um, so most of our organizations have two cultures. One is hierarchical, but the other is, is networked. Um, when we brought technology into our workplaces, we created an email system that could communicate across the system in a whole in yes. a horizontal way, right? So now we have technology embedded just about everywhere, and we have created a shadow culture that is networked instead of hierarchical. So in a flat network culture, where you sit shapes what you see. So if you're trying to understand the whole system, the more relationships you have and the more conversations you have with people who see things very differently, the more you can understand the system. In nature, uh, diversity is directly linked to resilience. So the more diverse an ecological system is, the more resilient it is, because these diverse species begin to specialize, and then when they specialize, they, um, uh, they, they start producing excess of certain resources that another species wants, to, wants and needs. And then in, in vice versa, that species has information or 
knowledge or assets or resources that the first species wants. And so you create these synergistic relationships, but that's based in diversity. So nature banks on diversity and it rewards cooperation. And when you have both of those things in place, what you have are highly resilient systems. But we also know this from investing. So when we create a diverse portfolio of investments, we're more resilient against radical ups and downturns in the economy. So diversity matters. And so I think we need to figure out ways. So as a leader, the more you can welcome uh, different points of view, the more you seek out and see different ways of yes. uh, living and being in the world and that are shaped by culture and ethnicity and age and um, the more you understand the whole system and it's better for you and it's better for your leadership. And then the third, the third thing I would say is change your leadership questions. So, okay, I'm very interested in this one. Yeah, so <laughs> most of our uh, ways of thinking about leadership are built on questions that are more manager-like. So a manager asks, what can I control? Because management is always about span of control. You're supposed to control everybody below you in the organization. But, with, uh, but the leadership frame in a living system is not about control because you can't control a living system. Just like you can't control the pandemic, you can't control uh, people's behavior. You can control it for a short period of time, but not for a long period of time. So yes. it takes a lot of energy to control a living system, even for a short period of time. So instead of what can I control, you ask what can I unleash? So basically you assume their assets and resources in a living system that if you can unleash them, they will serve the organization and the organization will get healthier, more effective, more uh, efficient, more productive, et cetera, et cetera. So that's first. The second is the management question that sometimes is framed as a leadership question is who's gonna do this? Who's gonna make this work? So managers are always looking around and saying, okay, who's gonna, who, who can we put in charge of this to make them, and they will make it so, basically. Again, delegation, yes. yes. Whole right. seminars are about delegation. <laughs> yes, who's gonna make it happen? Who's gonna make it happen? And so that one person is responsible, but in a living system where everything's connected, your leadership question is what interactions will make this work? In other words, who's the collective of people? Who, who do we need to invite on into this table to help us be smart and creative and innovative about moving the system along. And, um, and uh, so it's more about what interactions will make this work. This goes to this next one goes to the diversity one before, which is how do I overcome resistance? So the management question is always about how do I, how do I stop silent, dampen down, anybody who thinks differently than I do. But the leadership question is how do I welcome resistance? How do I see resistance as helping me understand a part of the system that I don't understand right now? And when I welcome resistance, I get to see a more integrated understanding. And then instead of how do I change the individual, another management question, we're always about holding individuals accountable. But the leadership 
leadership is about influence. It's not about control. And the leadership question is, how do I transform the culture around people in the organization? Because the culture is like a force field. It's like a field of gravity or a magnetic field. The culture is actually going to be more powerful in shaping individual behavior than the than you know, kind of doing a performance plan on an individual person. You can do performance plans on individual people, but if you have a whole bunch of people who aren't performing, you're doing a lot, wasting a lot of energy there. You know, so you should be really looking at the system or the culture to try to figure out what's in the culture that's creating this problem over here. The individual problem is the symptom, but the culture is the real deal. And then finally, the last management question is how do I create change? How do I make change? But the new leadership question would be how can I transform the energy that's already in the system to transform it in the direction that I want it to go? So we talked about our heartbeat and our circulation as a living system. We're either, if we stop circulating and movement, we basically are dying, right? Well, living systems and organizations are also always in movement. So there's energy in that system that you can transform and align, and then it will help move the system and change the system without, you know, kind of trying to control every step of change going forward. So it's like, what can I unleash? What interactions will make it work, this work? How do I welcome resistance? How do I change the field or the culture? And how can I transform the energy that already exists and line us up towards the direction we want to go? Oh my God, my mind <laughs> is blown here. <clears throat> and the one that the one that's stuck most to me is the one about culture and thinking about it you i've seen it i've tried it myself is you can do a lot of work with one individual and say like okay i fixed this one he's ready to work let me take the next one but it's in the same culture and then two weeks one month later is like why he's back to the where square one or worse is minus one no right right which just should remind us the obvious is that we can't control people unless we're paying attention and on them all the time. And yes. that just picks up energy left and right. So why would we want to go down that path when there's an easier path here, which is let's surround those people with a culture that encourages this behavior instead of that behavior. And Kathy, do you have some tips on how to improve culture? Some like unleashing something like the equivalent of an atomic bomb of improvement in a, in a culture? Well, I'll, I'll give you a couple of, uh, I do culture audits for organizations. And here are a couple okay. of my great questions that give me an indication of what needs to change. So I, I like to ask the question, what, what generates positive energy at work? What drains energy at work? And what kinds of things are more complex or difficult or mysterious than they need to be? And when I ask those just simple three questions, I get really great stories about um, what's interfering with uh, in the culture that's interfering with our ability to work together and be productive uh, collectively. And I get an understanding of what structures and processes are getting in, in the way and I get an example of what kind of behaviors are um, draining people's energy and uh, 
And then I asked the question, okay, how are we rewarding those negative behaviors? Are we rewarding the things that generate positive energy? And how can we simplify the things that are too uh, mysterious or energy draining that are really built on somebody's need to control instead of getting the work done? And that's a, that's, so that's kind of a quick way of analyzing a culture and seeing where the weak spots are. And then you ask the leadership question, which is, all right, what interactions, who could I bring together around a table that could help make this change? Um, and, um, and then the really great creative solutions come from getting smart people together to laying out the problem and then let's figure out how to make it better. And then they will be the ones that will recommend the change that will make the culture change that will help. Let the people self-organize and yeah. find their own solutions. Pretty and as much. you said in the beginning, if they come up with the solution, if they create it, they're going to encourage it and grow it. Mm-hmm. But if you impose it, they're gonna probably going to let it die. Pretty much. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. And Kathy, since we also passed on learning, what is the book that had the most profound impact on you? This, this one was a really tough question for me when uh, you shared the questions because I, I'm an avid reader and I love to read. And I have so many I could have written down. So I couldn't get it down to one, but I got it down to two. So Margaret Whitley wrote a book called Leadership and the New Science, and it was published, oh, a long time ago, I think um, in the 80s, um, mid to late 80s. And, um, but she, she was kind of a, a really early voice in looking at science and telling us what the new sciences, like quantum mechanics and quantum physics and um, uh, dissipative structures and and how you could take these ideas and apply it to leadership. So I always find creative ways of looking at leadership when I read outside of the discipline. Um, So I read, I, you know, I read management and leadership books, but there's always an interesting, innovative, creative thing when I go outside of that field and then apply to, to leadership. And then the second one that inspired my book on leading from the roots was uh, Jeannie Benyus' book called Biomimicry. So her book was about using nature as a mentor, measure, and model for designing things, kind of engineering, you know. So there's like um, an insect in the rainforest that um, has an enzyme that is on their on their wings that sloughs off dust so it doesn't interfere with their ability to fly. And now the engineers have learned from nature and what that enzyme is, and they're coating the windows that we put into our houses to slough off dirt on the outside so you don't have to wash them as much, right? I cannot wait to get those windows. Right. So when I read that, I knew, you know, sometimes you read a book and you just feel this is significant, and there's some kind of energy that builds inside of you. And when I read that book, I said, this is great. And because my field is people, organizations, and leadership, I realized there's a whole slew of examples in this that could apply to helping us think about leadership in a totally different way. And so that, that inspired me to start experimenting 
and I experimented for about 15 years with those ideas with the organizations I worked with. And then I eventually wrote my book called Leadership, um, uh, Leading from the Roots, Nature-Inspired Leadership Lessons for Today. And so I take nature's design principles and living systems frameworks, and I basically, each chapter looks at the lesson from nature, looks at the le new leadership questions that we should be asking, and then looks at what we should focus on and pay attention to and what we should let go of in order to transform our leadership. So that's kind of my story on books. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you're so right because the major improvements or leaps in, in a domain will usually happen by taking knowledge from another domain and applying it there. So, and this works not just with, even in business, if you work on, on something, uh, if you're in software, for example, go outside and study something else and you will be better at building software. And if you want to be better as a leader, go read some books on biology and system and ecology or even chemistry, I think, would <laughs> be useful. Yes. Physics, whatever. Don't just focus on, on, on the field itself. And this is something that I try. Each time I, I, I start studying a field, I take books from that field, the, the recommended ones, but I also throw in one or two books that I think from another field would jive with what I'm reading there because it makes sense. Like they're kind of similar, but they're not discussing the same stuff. And it bring it gives you new insights on, on the whole, uh, on what you're studying, what you're trying to learn. And it just makes it for a better experience in my yeah. opinion yeah. and experience. It does. And Kathy, if people want to find out more about you, where should they go? Um, you can uh, check out my website. Uh, that's uh, www. Kathleen with a K, Kathleen Allen one word dot net. And uh, if you like little bite sites, bite night, bite sizes of these kinds of ideas that I've shared, I write a weekly blog, and so you can go there and be inspired on a short weekly awesome of um, you know a minute or two, maybe five minutes max reading and uh but i'm always kind of taking these ideas and and uh thinking about how we can uh, rethink our world and our leadership uh, if we paid attention to different things you can find me on linkedin um that's uh kathy allen on on linkedin and uh you can follow me on twitter at uh, leading roots uh, on twitter Perfect. And now I'm going to put links uh, in the show notes so people can more easily find you. Super. And of course, your book is on Amazon. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Which I highly encourage people to get. It's a new view, like taking from biology and applying it to leadership. It's, it's so fresh and different. Yeah. And I loved our conversation, especially... I, I loved uh, biology when I was in school, so oh, it was really good to have this conversation. Enjoyed it so yeah. much. Thank you for that. And, I, you know, I found in my experiment in writing the book is that when you start leading from a living system perspective and you use nature's design principles, change happens faster. It takes less energy. It is more sustainable. And it's just... Um, and people own it 
in a way that you know you just can't get from traditional change management language or ideas. So it's I found it be very powerful. So thank you so Just much. like me, sure. A lovely, yeah. lovely uh, conversation. Thank you for inviting yes. us. Yes. Same. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you. And bye-bye. Goodbye. That was today's episode. Tune in daily. Rate, like, subscribe, and share, please. Oh, you can find further info and materials in the show notes on techyleadership.com, including links to the guest book recommendations.